0: Welcome to Marilyn Lightstone Reads Sense and Sensibility, Jane Austen's timeless tale of the Dashwood sisters set in Regency-era England. This is the 12th title in our podcast series, Marilyn Lightstone Reads. If this is your first time with us, you can find all the other novels in our series, plus new episodes at classicalfm.ca or through your favorite podcast app. Now, let's turn to Marilyn as she reads Sense and Sensibility. CHAPTER Eleven.
1: Little had Mrs. Dashwood or her daughters imagined when they first came into Devonshire that so many engagements would arise to occupy their time as shortly presented themselves, or that they should have such frequent invitations and such constant visitors as to leave them little leisure for serious employment. Yet such was the case. When Marianne was recovered, the schemes of amusement at home and abroad, which Sir John had been previously forming, were put into execution. The private balls at the park then began, and parties on the water were made, and accomplished as often as a showery October would allow. In every meeting of the kind, Willoughby was included." and the ease and familiarity which naturally attended these parties were exactly calculated to give increasing intimacy to his acquaintance with the Dashwoods, to offer him opportunity of witnessing the excellencies of Marianne, of marking his animated admiration of her, and of receiving, in her behavior to himself, the most pointed assurance of her affection. Eleanor could not be surprised at their attachment. She only wished that it was less openly shown, and once or twice did venture to suggest the propriety of some self-command to Marianne. But Marianne abhorred all concealment where no real disgrace could attend unreserve, and to aim at the restraint of sentiments which were not in themselves laudable, appeared to her not merely an unnecessary effort but a disgraceful subjection of reason to commonplace and mistaken notions. Willoughby thought the same, and their behaviour at all times was an illustration of their opinions. When he was present, she had no eyes for anyone else. Everything he did was right. Everything he said was clever. If their evenings at the park were concluded with cards, he cheated himself and all the rest of the party to get her a good hand. If dancing formed the amusement of the night, they were partners for half the time, and when obliged to separate for a couple of dances, were careful to stand together. And scarcely spoke a word to anybody else. Such conduct made them, of course, most exceedingly laughed at, but ridicule could not shame and seemed hardly to provoke them. Mrs. Dashwood entered into all their feelings with a warmth which left her no inclination for checking this excessive display of them. To her it was but the natural consequence of a strong affection in a young and ardent mind. This "'was the season of happiness to Marianne. "'Her heart was devoted to Willoughby, "'and the fond attachment to Norland, "'which he brought with her from Sussex, "'was more likely to be softened "'than she had thought it possible before "'by the charms which his society "'bestowed on her present home. "'Eleanor's happiness was not so great. "'Her heart was not so much at ease, "'nor her satisfaction in their amusements so pure.' "'They afforded her no companion that could make amends for what she had left behind, "'nor that could nor that could teach her to think of Norland with less regret than ever. "'Neither Lady Middleton nor Mrs. Jennings could supply to her the conversation she missed, "'although the latter was an everlasting talker, "'and from the first had regarded her with a kindness which ensured her a large share of her discourse.' she had already repeated her own history to Eleanor three or four times, and had Eleanor's memory been equal to her means of improvement, she might have known very early in their acquaintance all the particulars of Mr. Jennings' last illness and what he said to his wife a few minutes before he died. Lady Middleton was more agreeable than her mother, only in being more silent "'Eleanor needed little observation to perceive that her reserve was a mere calmness of manner with which sense had nothing to do. "'Towards her husband and mother she was the same as to them, and intimacy was therefore neither to be looked for nor desired. "'She had nothing to say one day that she had not said the day before.' Her insipidity was invariable, for even her spirits were always the same, and though she did not oppose the parties arranged by her husband, provided everything were conducted in style, and her two eldest children attended her, she never appeared to receive more enjoyment from them than she might have experienced in sitting at home.' and so little did her presence add to the pleasure of the others by any share in their conversation that they were sometimes only reminded of her being amongst them by her solicitude about her troublesome boys. In Colonel Brandon alone, of all her new acquaintance, did Eleanor find a person who could in any degree claim the respect of abilities, excite the interest of friendship, or give pleasure as a companion. Willoughby was out of the question. Her admiration and regard, even her sisterly regard, was all his own, but he was a lover. His attentions were wholly Marianne's, and a far less agreeable man might have been more generally pleasing. Colonel Brandon, unfortunately for himself, had no such encouragement to think only of Marianne, and in conversing with Eleanor he found the greatest consolation for the indifference of her sister. Eleanor's compassion for him increased, as she had reason to suspect that the misery of his disappointed love had already been known to him. This suspicion was given by some words which accidentally dropped from him one evening at the park, when they were sitting down together by mutual consent while the others were dancing. His eyes were fixed on Marianne, and after a silence of some minutes he said, with a faint smile, "'Your sister, I understand, does not approve of second detachments.' "'No,' replied Eleanor. "'Her opinions are all romantic.' or rather, as I believe, she considers them impossible to exist. I believe she does. But how she contrives it without reflecting on the character of her own father, who had himself two wives I know not. A few years, however, will settle her opinions on the reasonable basis of common sense and observation, and then they may be more easy to define and to justify than they are now by anybody but herself." "'This will probably be the case,' he replied. "'And yet there is something so amiable in the prejudices of a young mind "'that one is sorry to see them give way to the reception of more general opinions.' "'I cannot agree with you there,' said Eleanor. "'There are inconveniences attending such feelings as Marianne's, "'which all the charms of enthusiasm and ignorance of the world cannot atone for.' "'Her systems have all the unfortunate tendency of setting propriety at naught, "'and a better acquaintance with the world is what I look forward to "'as her greatest possible advantage.' "'After a short pause, he resumed the conversation by saying, "'Does your sister make no distinction in her objections against a second attachment, "'or is it equally criminal in everybody?' Are those who have been disappointed in their first choice, whether from the inconstancy of its object or the perverseness of circumstances, to be equally indifferent during the rest of their lives? Upon my word, I am not acquainted with the minutiae of her principles. I only know that I have never yet heard her admit any instance of a second attachment's being pardonable. "'This,' said he, "'cannot hold.' but a change, a total change of sentiments. No, 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 do not desire it, for when the romantic refinements of a young mind are obliged to give way, how frequently are they succeeded by such opinions as are but too common and too dangerous. I speak from experience. I once knew a lady who, in temper and mind, greatly resembled your sister, who thought and judged like her, but who, from an enforced change, from a series of unfortunate circumstances, here he stopped suddenly, appeared to think that he had said too much, and by his countenance gave rise to conjectures which might not otherwise have entered Eleanor's head. The lady would probably have passed without suspicion had he not convinced Miss Dashwood that what concerned her ought not to escape his lips. As it was, it required but a slight effort of fancy to connect his emotion with the tender recollection of past regard. Eleanor attempted no more, but Marianne, in her place, would not have done so little. The whole story would have been speedily formed under her active imagination, and everything established in the most melancholy order of disastrous love. CHAPTER Twelve. As Eleanor and Marianne were walking together the next morning, the latter communicated a piece of news to her sister which, in spite of all that she knew before of Marianne's imprudence and want of thought, surprised her by its extravagant testimony of both. Marianne told her, with the greatest delight, that Willoughby had given her a horse one that he had bred himself on his estate in Somersetshire, and which was exactly calculated to carry a woman without considering that it was not in her mother's plan to keep any horse, that if she were to alter her resolution in favour of this gift, she must buy another for the servant, and keep a servant to ride it, and, after all, build a stable to receive them. She had accepted the present without hesitation, and told her sister of it in raptures. He intends to send his groom into Somersetshire immediately for it, and when it arrives we will ride every day, "'You shall share its use with me. "'Imagine to yourself, my dear Eleanor, "'the delight of a gallop on some of these downs.' "'Most unwilling was she to awaken from such a dream of felicity "'to comprehend all the unhappy truths which attended the affair, "'and for some time she refused to submit to them. "'As to an additional servant, the expense would be a trifle.' Mamma, she was sure, would never object to it, and any horse would do for him. "'He might always get one at the park. "'As to a stable, the mere shed would be sufficient.' "'Eleanor then ventured to doubt the propriety of her receiving such a present "'from a man so little, or at least so lately, known to her. "'This was too much. "'You are mistaken, Eleanor.' said she warmly, in supposing I know very little of Willoughby. I have not known him long indeed, but I am much better acquainted with him than I am with any other creature in the world except yourself and Mamma. It is not time or opportunity that is to determine intimacy. It is disposition alone. Seven years would not be insufficient to make some people acquainted with each other, and seven days are more than enough for others.' I should hold myself guilty of greater impropriety in accepting a horse from my brother than from Willoughby. Of John I know very little, though we have lived together for years. But of Willoughby my judgment has long been formed. Eleanor thought it wisest to touch that point no more. She knew her sister's temper. Opposition on so tender a subject would only attach her the more to her own opinion— but by an appeal to her affection for her mother, by representing the inconveniences which that indulgent mother must draw on herself, if, as would probably be the case, she consented to this increase of establishment. Marianne was shortly subdued, and she promised not to tempt her mother to such imprudent kindness by mentioning the offer, and to tell Willoughby, when she saw him next, that it must be declined. She was faithful to her word, and when Willoughby called at the cottage the same day, Eleanor heard her express her disappointment to him in a low voice on being obliged to forego the acceptance of his presence. The reasons for this alteration were at the same time related, and they were such as to make further entreaty on his side impossible. His concern, however, was very apparent. "'and after expressing it with earnestness, he added in the same low voice, "'But, Marianne, the horse is still yours, though you cannot use it now. "'I shall keep it only till you can claim it. "'When you leave Barton to form your own establishment in a more lasting home, "'Queen Mab shall receive you.' This was all overheard by Miss Dashwood, and in the whole of the sentence, in his manner of pronouncing it, and in his addressing her sister by her Christian name only, she instantly saw an intimacy so decided, a meaning so direct, as marked a perfect agreement between them. From that moment, she doubted not of their being engaged to each other, and the belief of it created no other surprise than that she— "'or any of their friends should be left by tempers so frank "'to discover it by accident. "'Margaret related something to her the next day "'which placed this matter in a still clearer light.' "'Willoughby had spent the preceding evening with them, "'and Margaret, by being left some time in the parlour "'with only him and Marianne, "'had had opportunity for observations, "'which, with a most important face, "'she communicated to her eldest sister "'when they were next by themselves. "'Oh, Eleanor,' she cried, "'I have such a secret to tell you about Marianne. "'I am sure she will be married to Mr. Willoughby very soon.' "'You have said so.' "'replied Eleanor. "'Almost every day since they first met on High Church Down. "'And they had not known each other a week, I believe, "'before you were certain that Marianne wore his picture round her neck, "'but it turned out only to be the miniature of our great-uncle. "'But indeed, this is quite another thing. "'I am sure they will be married very soon, "'for he has got a lock of her hair. "'Take care, Margaret. "'It may be only the hair of some great-uncle of his.' "'But indeed, Eleanor, it is Marianne's. "'I am almost sure of it, for I saw him cut it off. "'Last night after tea, when you and Mamma went out of the room, "'they were whispering and talking together as fast as could be, "'and he seemed to be begging something of her, "'and presently he took up her scissors and cut off a long lock of her hair, "'for it was all tumbled down her back, and he kissed it "'and folded it up in a piece of white paper and put it into his pocketbook.' For such particulars, stated on such authority, Eleanor could not withhold her credit, nor was she disposed to it, for the circumstance was in perfect unison with what she had heard and seen herself. Margaret's sagacity was not always displayed in a way so satisfactory to her sister when mrs jenning's attacked her one evening at the park to give the name of the young man who was eleanor's particular favorite who had been long a matter of great curiosity to her margaret answered by looking at her sister and saying i must not tell may i eleanor this of course made everybody laugh and eleanor tried to laugh too but the effort was painful She was convinced that Margaret had fixed on a person whose name she could not bear with composure to become a standing joke with Mrs. Jennings. Marianne felt for her most sincerely, but she did more harm than good to the cause by turning very red and saying in an angry manner to Margaret, Remember that whatever your conjectures may be, you have no right to repeat them. I never had any conjectures about it. "'replied Margaret. "'It was you who told me of it yourself.' "'This increased the mirth of the company, "'and Margaret was eagerly pressed to say something more. "'Oh, pray, Miss Margaret, let us know all about it,' said Mrs. Jennings. "'What is the gentleman's name?' "'I must not tell, ma'am, but I know perfectly well what it is, "'and I know where he is, too. (laughs) "'Yes, yes, yes, we can guess where he is.' at his own house at Norland, to be sure. He is the curate of the parish, I dare say. No, that he is not. He is of no profession at all. Margaret, said Marianne with great warmth, you know that all this is an invention of your own, and that there is no such person in existence. Well then, he is lately dead, Marianne, for I am sure there was such a man once, and his name begins with an F.' Most grateful did Eleanor feel to Lady Middleton for observing, at this moment, that it rained very hard, though she believed the interruption to proceed less from any attention to her than from her ladyship's great dislike of all such inelegant subjects of raillery as delighted her husband and mother. The idea, however started by her, was immediately pursued by Colonel Brandon, who was on every occasion mindful of the feelings of others, and much was said on the subject of rain by both of them. Willoughby opened the pianoforte and asked Marianne to sit down to it, and thus, amidst the various endeavors of different people to quit the topic, it fell to the ground. "'but not so easily did Eleanor recover from the alarm into which it had thrown her. "'A party was formed this evening for going on the following day "'to see a very fine place about twelve miles from Barton "'belonging to a brother-in-law of Colonel Brandon, "'without whose interest it could not be seen, "'as the proprietor, who was then abroad, had left strict orders on that head. "'The grounds were declared to be highly beautiful.' And Sir John, who was particularly warm in their praise, might be allowed to be a tolerable judge, for he had formed parties to visit them at least twice every summer for the last ten years. They contained a noble piece of water, a sail on which was to form a great part of the morning's amusement. Cold provisions were to be taken open carriages only to be employed, and everything conducted in the usual style of a complete party of pleasure. To some few of the company it appeared rather a bold undertaking, considering the time of year, and that it had rained every day for the last fortnight, and Mrs. Dashwood, who had already a cold, was persuaded by Eleanor to stay at home. Chapter 13 Their intended excursion to Whitwell turned out very different from what Eleanor had expected. She was prepared to be wet through, fatigued, and frightened, but the event was still more unfortunate, for they did not go at all. By ten o'clock the whole party was assembled at the park, where they were to breakfast. The morning was rather favorable, though it had rained all night, as the clouds were then dispersing across the sky, and the sun frequently appeared. They were all in high spirits and good humor, eager to be happy, and determined to submit to the greatest inconveniences and hardships, rather than be otherwise. While they were at breakfast, the letters were brought in. Among the rest, there was one for Colonel Brandon. He took it, looked at the direction change colour, and immediately left the room. What is the matter with Brandon? said Sir John. Nobody could tell. I hope he has had no bad news, said Lady Middleton. It must be something extraordinary that could make Colonel Brandon leave my breakfast table so suddenly. In about five minutes he returned. Not bad news, Colonel, I hope, said Mrs. Jennings, as soon as he entered the room. Not at all, ma'am, I thank you. "'Was it from Avignon? "'I hope it is not to say that your sister is worse. "'No, ma'am. "'It came from town and is merely a letter of business. "'But how came the hand to discompose you so much "'if it was only a letter of business? "'Oh, come, come, this won't do, Colonel. "'So let us hear the truth of it.' "'My dear, madam,' said Lady Middleton, "'recollect what you are saying. "'Perhaps it is to tell you that your cousin Fanny is married.' "'said Mrs. Jennings, without attending to her daughter's reproof. "'No, indeed it is not. "'Well, then, I know who it is from, Colonel, and I hope she is well.' "'Whom do you mean, ma'am?' said he, colouring a little. "'Oh, you know who I mean.' "'I am particularly sorry, madam,' said he, addressing Lady Middleton, "'that I should receive this letter to-day, for it is on business which requires my immediate attendance in town.' "'In town!' cried Mrs. Jennings. "'What can you have to do in town at this time of year?' "'My own loss is great,' he continued, "'in being obliged to leave so agreeable a party. "'But I am the more concerned, as I feel my presence is necessary, "'to gain your admittance at Whitwell.' "'What a blow upon them all was this!' "'But if you write a note to the housekeeper, Mr. Brandon,' "'said Marianne eagerly, "'will it not be sufficient?' "'He shook his head.' "'We must go,' said Sir John. "'It shall not be put off when we are so near it. "'You cannot go to town till tomorrow, Brandon, that is all.' "'I wish it could be so easily settled, "'but it is not in my power to delay my journey for one day.' "'If you would but let us know what your business is,' said Mrs. Jennings, "'we might see whether it could be put off or not.' "'You would not be six hours later,' said Willoughby, "'if you were to defer your journey till our return.' "'I cannot afford to lose one hour.' "'Eleanor then heard Willoughby say "'in a low voice to Marianne, "'There are some people who cannot bear a party of pleasure. "'Brandon is one of them. "'He is afraid of catching cold, I dare say, "'and invented this trick for getting out of it. "'I would lay fifty guineas. "'The letter was of his own writing.' "'I have no doubt of it,' replied Marianne. "'There is no persuading you to change your mind, Brandon. "'I know of old.' "'said Sir John, when once you are determined on anything. "'But, however, I hope you will think better of it. "'Consider here are the two Miss Careys come over from Euton, "'and the three Miss Dashwoods walked up from the cottage, "'and Mr. Willoughby got up two hours before his usual time "'on purpose to go to Whitwell.' "'Colonel Brandon again repeated his sorrow "'at being the cause of disappointing the party, "'but at the same time declared it to be unavoidable. "'Well, then, when will you come back again?' "'I hope we shall see you at Barton,' added her ladyship, "'as soon as you can conveniently leave town, "'and we must put off the party to Whitwell till you return.' "'You are very obliging, but it is so uncertain "'when I may have it in my power to return "'that I dare not engage for it at all.' "'Oh, he must and shall come back,' cried Sir John. "'If he is not here by the end of the week, I shall go after him.' "'Aye, so do, Sir John,' cried Mrs. Jennings, "'and then perhaps you may find out what his business is. "'I do not want to pry into other men's concerns. "'I suppose it is something he is ashamed of.' "'Colonel Brandon's horses were announced. "'You do not go to town on the horseback, do you?' added Sir John. "'No, only to Honiton. I shall then go post.' Well, as you are resolved to go, I wish you a good journey, but you had better change your mind. I assure you, it is not in my power. He then took leave of the whole party. Is there no chance of my seeing you and your sisters in town this winter, Miss Dashwood? I am afraid, none at all. Then I must bid you farewell for a longer time than I should wish to do. To Marianne he merely bowed and said nothing. "'Come, Colonel,' said Mrs. Jennings, "'before you go to let us know what you are going about.' He wished her a good morning, and, attended by Sir John, left the room. The complaints and lamentations which politeness had hitherto restrained now burst forth universally, and they all agreed again and again how provoking it was to be so disappointed. "'I can guess what his business is, however.' "'said Mrs. Jennings exultingly. "'Can you, ma'am?' "'said almost everybody. "'Yes, it is about Miss Williams, "'I am sure. "'And who is Miss Williams?' "'asked Marianne. "'What? "'Do not you know "'who Miss Williams is? "'I am sure you must have "'heard of her before. "'She is a relation "'of the colonel's, my dear, "'a very near relation. "'We will not say "'how near "'for fear of shocking "'the young ladies.' "'Then, Lowering her voice a little, she said to Eleanor, "'She is his natural daughter.' "'Indeed?' "'Oh, yes, and as like him as she can stare. I dare say the Colonel will leave her all his fortune.' When Sir John returned, he joined most heartily in the general regret on so unfortunate an event, concluding, however, by observing that as they were all got together, they must do something by way of being happy.' and after some consultation it was agreed that although happiness could only be enjoyed at Whitwell, they might procure a tolerable composure of mind by driving about the country. The carriages were then ordered. Willoughby's was first, and Marianne never looked happier than when she got into it. He drove through the park very fast, and they were soon out of sight, and nothing more of them was seen till their return, which did not happen till after the return of all the rest. They both seemed delighted with their drive, but said only in general terms that they had kept in the lanes while the others went on the downs. It was settled that there should be a dance in the evening, and that everybody should be extremely merry all day long, some more of the Careys came to dinner, and they had the pleasure of sitting down nearly twenty to table, which Sir John observed with great contentment. Willoughby took his usual place between the two elder Miss Dashwoods. Mrs. Jennings sat on Eleanor's right hand, and they had not been long seated before she leant behind her and Willoughby and said to Marianne, long, loud enough for them both to hear— I have found you out in spite of all your tricks. I know where you spent the morning. Marianne coloured and replied very hastily. Where, pray? Did not you know, said Willoughby, that we had been out in my curricle? Yes, 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 Mr. Impudence, I know that very well, and I was determined to find out where you had been to. I hope you like your house, Miss Marianne. It is a very large one I know and when I come to see you I hope you will have new furnished it for it wanted very much when I was there 6 years ago. Marianne turned away in great confusion. "'Mrs. Jennings laughed heartily, and Eleanor found that in her resolution to know where they had been, she had actually made her own woman inquire of Mr. Willoughby's groom, and that she had by that method been informed that they had gone to Allenham, and spent a considerable time there in walking about the garden and going all over the house.' Eleanor could hardly believe this to be true, as it seemed very unlikely that Willoughby should propose, or Marianne consent, to enter the house while Mrs. Smith was in it, with whom Marianne had not the smallest acquaintance. As soon as they left the dining-room, Eleanor inquired of her about it, and great was her surprise when she found that every circumstance related by Mrs. Jennings was perfectly true. Marianne was quite angry with her for doubting it, "'Why should you imagine, Eleanor, that we did not go there, "'or that we did not see the house? "'Is it not what you have often wished to do yourself?' "'Yes, Marianne, but I would not go while Mrs. Smith was there, "'and with no other companion than Mr. Willoughby. "'Mr. Willoughby, however, is the only person "'who can have a right to show that house, "'and as he went in an open carriage, "'it was impossible to have any other companion. "'I never spent a pleasanter morning in all of my life.' "'I am afraid,' replied Eleanor, "'that the pleasantness of an employment does not always evince its propriety. On the contrary, nothing can be a stronger proof of it, Eleanor. For if there had been any real impropriety in what I did, I should have been sensible of it at the time, for we always know when we are acting wrong, and with such a conviction I could have had no pleasure.' "'But, my dear Marianne, as it has already exposed you to some very impertinent remarks, do you not now begin to doubt the discretion of your own conduct? If the impertinent remarks of Mrs. Jennings are to be the proof of impropriety in conduct, we are all offending every moment of our lives. I value not her censure any more than I should do her commendation.' I am not sensible of having done anything wrong in walking over Mrs. Smith's grounds, or in seeing her house. They will one day be Mr. Willoughby's, and if they were one day to be your own Marianne, you would not be justified in what you have done. She blushed at this hint, but it was even visibly gratifying to her, and after a ten minutes' interval of earnest thought, "'She came to her sister again and said with great good humour, "'Perhaps, Eleanor, it was rather ill-judged in me to go to Allenham, "'but Mr. Willoughby wanted particularly to show me the place. Oh, and it is a charming house, I assure you. "'There is one remarkably pretty sitting-room upstairs "'of a nice, comfortable size for constant use, "'and with modern furniture it would be delightful.' "'It is a corner room and has windows on two sides. "'On one side you look across the bowling green behind the house "'to a beautiful hanging wood, "'and on the other you have a view of the church and village "'and beyond them of those fine, bold hills "'that we have so often admired. "'I did not see it to advantage, "'for nothing could be more forlorn than the furniture. "'But if it was newly fitted up, A couple of hundred pounds, Willoughby says, would make it one of the pleasantest summer rooms in England. Could Eleanor have listened to her without interruption from the others? She would have described
0: every room in the house with equal delight. Thank you for listening to Marilyn Lightstone Reads Sense and Sensibility. This episode was produced by Justin Eacock, executive producer Moses Snymer. This is the latest book in our podcast series, Marilyn Lightstone Reads. Other selections include Pride and Prejudice, Sunshine Sketches of a Little Town, The Scarlet Pimpernel, Vanity Fair, Showboat, Anne of Green Gables, The Age of Innocence, and The Woman in White. You can help support this podcast by recommending it to your friends and leaving a five-star review in your preferred podcast store. And while you're there, look for a variety of other quality podcasts proudly presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.